Hello everyone, what is up? Welcome back to another episode of Killer Instinct. Thank you so much for joining me today. If you're new here, hi, my name is Savannah and I am your host of Killer Instinct. Before we get started, make sure you go ahead and hit that subscribe button. That way you never miss an episode. We post weekly here on the podcast every Wednesday and upload the video version onto YouTube every Wednesday as well and you are not going to want to miss it. As you guys can tell by the title of today's episode, we are discussing the case of Sarah Stern, and this truly is one of the most ultimate betrayal cases that we have covered in a very long time. So with that being said, let's jump right on into it today. Sarah Stern was born on March 25th of 1997 in New Jersey to her parents, Michael and Carla Stern. Sarah grew up in a community called Neptune City, New Jersey, where she attended Neptune High School and went on to study at Brookdale Community College. Now, while Neptune isn't far from the popular tourist attraction of the Jersey Shore, Neptune City is definitely more of a quaint community. It is one of the towns where everyone knows everyone or everyone is mutuals of one another. It is a very tight-knit community. Sarah grew up on a little cul-de-sac on a small street, growing up with the other kids in her neighborhood. They all hung out together after school and on weekends. They all grew up together and it was a very happy childhood environment to be in. Now, Sarah is described as a miracle child. She was a miracle baby for her parents because Carla, her mom, did not think that she was going to be able to get pregnant. So she thought her chances for kids were pretty much slim to none. However, they were over the moon when Carla and Mike found out that they, in fact, were expecting. Sarah was the only child of Mike and Carla, and the three of them were incredibly close. She had her issues growing into her teenage years with parents, as most kids do, but it was nothing out of the ordinary. However, sadly, in 2013, Carla passed away from cancer, leaving Sarah and Mike behind. Now, when Sarah lost her mom, she really leaned in on everyone around her. She got incredibly close with her grandmother. Her dad and her had strengthened their relationship. And she also leaned in to a passion of hers, which was art. Sarah loved painting and drawing and sketching, and it really unlocked a secret talent that no one knew that she had. She was incredibly passionate about it and wanted to spend all of her time doing it, and she was actually a very talented artist, and she was also known as being happy-go-lucky. She was smart. She was athletic. She was always there for anyone who needed her and went above and beyond for the people that she loved. So this brings us to the afternoon of December 2nd, 2016. On this day, Sarah had gone over to her neighbor's house. Her neighbor was named Robin, and as I mentioned earlier, Sarah was very close to everyone in her neighborhood. She grew up with all of the kids in her neighborhood, and Robin had two children named Sam and Carly, who Sarah was very, very close to. So on the afternoon of December 2nd, Sarah had gone over 
over to Robin's house to drop off a bin of her belongings. Sarah had texted Robin earlier that day and asked if she could leave these belongings at Robin's house and Robin agreed to it. So later that afternoon, Sarah went over to Robin's to drop off the belongings. Now when Sarah got to Robin's house, she called out for Robin's name several times, however received no answer. However, even though Robin wasn't home, Carly, her daughter, was. Carly saw Sarah that afternoon in her house and the two of them had a brief conversation. In this conversation, Sarah told Carly that she was actually planning on moving to Canada. She continued to tell Carly that she was ecstatic for this move and her whole plan was to move to Canada and really pursue an artistic career up there and really start this new chapter of her life. According to Carly, Sarah seemed very ecstatic about this new chapter and she was really, really excited for what the future had in store. Now, during this little chat, Sarah also had told Carly that her and her father, Mike, had gotten into an argument where Sarah said she, quote, lost respect for him. Now, at the time, Carly knew that Sarah and her dad did argue quite frequently, so hearing that there was another argument wasn't much of a surprise. And along with that, the main takeaway from this conversation was that Sarah was going to be moving. Now, when she left the house, Sarah asked Carly to hang out later that night. The two of them made pretty vague plans, but they planned on seeing each other later that night on the 2nd. However, sadly, that never happened. This brings us to the early morning hours of December 3rd, 2016, when there was an Uber driver who spotted a car that was pulled over on a bridge in Neptune City. The Uber driver reported the car, and when police arrived, they saw that the car was unlocked with the keys still inside of it. They ran the plates on the car and saw that the car was registered to a woman named Lillian Stern. Now, Lillian Stern was the 96-year-old grandmother of Sarah. Now, again, this was a very small town, and everyone knows everyone community, and some of the police officers were actually friends with Sarah's dad, Mike, and they knew that Sarah often drove her grandmother's car. So at approximately 3 a.m. on December 3rd, police made a phone call to Mike Stern, who at the time was on a vacation at Disney World in Orlando, Florida with his girlfriend. Mike is woken up by this call at 3 a.m and that is when he is told that Sarah's car was found pulled over on the side of a bridge. However, Sarah was nowhere to be found. Now, when Mike got off the phone with the police officers, he immediately called his nephew, who was also a first responder in Neptune City, and his nephew was able to confirm that they did, in fact, find Sarah's car, and Sarah was not in it. It was at that time that Mike and his girlfriend immediately shot out of bed and got in their car and began the long drive from Orlando all the way back to Neptune City, New Jersey. Along this drive, Mike was texting Sarah, calling Sarah, trying to get in touch with her any way that he could. However, he was unable to get a hold of her. Now, in the early morning hours of December 3rd, while Mike was still on his drive back to Neptune City, police got the okay from him to go into their home, where both him and Sarah lived, to see if Sarah was there. However, after walking through the home, they were unable to find her. 
At that same time, while police were going through the home, Robin, the neighbor, walked outside to see what was going on and told officers that Sarah had been by her house earlier that day with a friend of hers named Liam. Robin claimed that Sarah brought over this container of old belongings, some things that she was planning on giving to Carly, some things that she was just planning on giving to Robin in general. Now, with now when police heard this, when police heard that Sarah was getting rid of some of her belongings, they began to wonder if Sarah was possibly suicidal. Her car was found on top of a bridge, and earlier in the day, she was giving away her things. She was giving away her stuff. Her car gets found on top of a bridge. She is nowhere to be found. Police start to piece together these little pieces of information and begin to wonder if Sarah took her own life. Now, when police were talking to Robin, Robin told them that Sarah came over with her belongings to drop off these things, and she also told them, like I mentioned, that Sarah wasn't alone. Sarah was with a friend of hers named Liam McAtasney. Liam and Sarah knew each other from high school. Liam was slightly older than Sarah, and the two of them spent a lot of time together. They hung out all the time. However, their relationship was strictly platonic. Now, when Robin had told police that Sarah was seen with Liam, police knew that they needed to speak with Liam next. They ended up driving over to Liam's house directly after speaking with Robin and knocked on Liam's door. Now, again, this was was the very early morning hours of December 3rd, so Liam was still sleeping. However, he got out of bed and answered the door. When he answered, he saw police standing in front of him who had asked him when the last time he had seen Sarah was. Liam told police that he had seen Sarah the previous day on December 2nd. He said the two of them hung out during the day and then went and got Taco Bell in the early afternoon before Liam said goodbye and went to work his afternoon shift at his job. Liam said that after him and Sarah had parted ways the day prior that he had not seen or heard from her since. Imagine an app designed to make you use it less. Seems a little counterproductive, right? Well, Apartments.com's Instant Alert feature works exactly that way. Instead of scanning rental listings a million times a day, simply set and forget your search to whatever you're looking for in a place and let Apartments.com do the rest. From pet-friendly apartments to balconies to in-unit ACs, Apartments.com's powerful search tools let you know when the perfect combination of features you're seeking is listed. So you don't have to power through rental descriptions one by one. With more rental listings than anywhere else, Apartments Apartments.com's instant alerts mean that you can spend less time looking for the perfect place and more time on just doing you. Apartments.com, the place to find a place. Police spent the entire day of December 3rd searching for Sarah. They conducted an entire water search considering her car was found on a bridge over a body of water. They searched all through the water. They searched all throughout Neptune City and they continued talking to all of Sarah's family and her friends. And this actually included going back to her friend Liam's house, who she was seen with on December 2nd. Now, Liam lived with two roommates named Preston and Sean, and all three of these boys were very, very close to Sarah. 
Liam's roommate Preston had actually taken Sarah to prom one year. So that's how close they were. None of them had any romantic interest in each other. It was purely platonic. However, they all spent a lot of time together. They hung out all the time. And Liam was with Sarah the day before she disappeared. So police wanted to go and revisit Liam's house just to see if there was anything else that Liam could tell them. However, Liam's story stayed the same. He claimed that him and Sarah brought over the belongings to Robin's house, then went to Taco Bell, and then went on their separate ways from there. And police were actually able to confirm these events that Liam had told them through surveillance cameras and security footage. Sarah's across the street neighbor actually had a security camera in their front door. So they were able to see Liam and Sarah getting into the car, taking the belongings over to Robin, and everything seemed entirely fine. They also found the surveillance footage of Liam and Sarah going to Taco Bell together. And again, everything looked normal. Now, there was another piece of security camera footage that police were able to obtain, and that was from Sarah's bank. Sarah was seen going into her bank by herself right before 3 p.m. on December 2nd. Her bank was in Bradley Beach, and this was a bank that Sarah had gone to for years, and she was very friendly with the staff there. She knew a lot of the employees that worked there, and based off of the surveillance footage, Sarah seemed in a very happy and playful mood. She's seen smiling, she's seen laughing, and then she's seen waving goodbye and walking out the door, and that was the last time that Sarah was ever seen. Now again, police had curated this theory that Sarah could have possibly taken her own life. They believed that it's possible Sarah could have jumped off that bridge on the night of December 2nd. And something that was really fueling this theory, like I had already mentioned, was the fact that she had brought over this bin of belongings to Robin's house. Now police decide that in order to get a better understanding of Sarah's mindset, it would benefit them to go through this bin of belongings belongings, see what was in here, see what Sarah was willing to give away, and hopefully it would help them piece together Sarah's mindset. However, when they got a hold of this bin, it really did not give them any answers at all. The bin was filled with little trinkets and a lot of Halloween decorations, some coins here and there. It was nothing that would help lead police one way or the other to try and get a better grasp on where Sarah's mind was at that time. Now, several days after Sarah went missing, the community put together a search party for her, and it was actually one of the biggest search parties in Jersey Shore history. Everyone in the community, including Sarah's family, her friends, Liam and Preston, everyone came together to try and find Sarah. However, sadly, this search ended up with nothing. And this is when people began to get very worried because this was December in New Jersey, it was cold, the waters were freezing, and people were worried that they would never find Sarah. And that with these weather conditions, if Sarah's body was in the water, it could have been dragged out to sea by that point and they would never recover her. 
So days turn into weeks and police have no answers and they're really, really honing in on this theory that Sarah just possibly could have committed suicide. They believe that that is what makes the most sense given the evidence provided. However, Sarah's family and friends knew that she was not someone who was going to take her own life. She had so much to look forward to, including this move to Canada that she excitedly told Carly about. And this move to Canada was not a rash decision either. It wasn't something that Sarah had just decided one day out of the blue because she wanted to escape from Neptune City. This was something that she had been thinking about for quite some time. In the years leading up to this decision, Sarah had spent a lot of time going to different conventions. She went to VidCon several times. She went to different art fairs, art shows, and a lot of them were located in Toronto, Canada. And Sarah knew after visiting just that first time that that is where she wanted to be and she did everything she could saved up as much money as she could to make that move possible now when sarah informed carly about this news of her moving to canada she had told carly that she had finally saved up enough money but it wasn't just her own savings sarah told carly that she discovered thousands of dollars at a house that her parents owned a few towns over from neptune city and that she was keeping the money to help move herself to canada now, this money that was found was put together by Sarah's mother, Carla, who before her passing put together a fund for Sarah. Sarah had found the money and put it into a safety deposit box in the bank. And we're talking about a decent amount of money. Inside the safety deposit box was actually $25,250. And according to Sarah's dad, Mike, he was completely unaware about this fund that Carla was creating for Sarah. This was something that Carla did on her own and did not tell Mike about. And so when Sarah found this money, she decided not to tell anyone and keep it a secret and store it away into the safety deposit box. So the first time that Mike actually learned about this money existing period wasn't until after Sarah went missing. Now, police were able to get a warrant to search the safety deposit box, and when they did, they found the money still inside of the box. Now, when police found the money, it really disqualified the theory that Sarah could have just up and moved to Canada or really anywhere without telling anyone, because that was another plausible theory. Everyone was saying that Sarah would never commit suicide, she would never end her own life, and so police thought maybe it's possible that she just decided to pack up and start fresh somewhere else. However, that theory didn't make a lot of sense considering Sarah left behind thousands and thousands of dollars and you would think if she was going to start this new life, why wouldn't she take that with her? It just didn't make a whole lot of sense and so when police discovered the money, that theory was taken off the table. So again, police are left back at square one. They didn't know what to think or what could have possibly happened to Sarah. However, then things changed. One day, shortly after Sarah went missing, one of her classmates named Anthony Curry, who was 19 years old, called his dad with some information. When his dad heard what his son was saying, he then connected Anthony to a detective on the case. So what did Anthony say? 
Now, Anthony told his dad and detectives that eight days prior to his disappearance, he had been having dinner with a friend. And during this dinner, this friend of his decided to throw out a movie idea to Anthony. Anthony was an aspiring filmmaker and was excited when his friend came to him with a new plot for a film. Now, according to Anthony, the idea was that a guy would steal money from a girl and then strangle and kill her before throwing her body over a bridge and leaving her car parked on the side of the road. And yes, I know, you're probably sitting here thinking that sounds very familiar, but in Anthony's mind, he truly didn't think of this anything other than a movie plot when he first heard it. He thought it was a little strange, he wasn't interested in pursuing this plot whatsoever, and he just brushed it off. However, after Sarah disappeared, a light bulb went off in his head. After Sarah's disappearance, Anthony also received a Snapchat message from this same friend asking if Anthony had spoken to the police in regards to Sarah. Now, again, at that time, Anthony had not spoken to police, and it wasn't until this message where Anthony started to realize that this was a little too eerie to just be a coincidence. So Anthony took out his professional camera and took a digital picture of the Snapchat message. It was after he took that picture that he called his dad and then in turn got connected to the police. Now when the police heard Anthony's story, it definitely sparked their interest, also considering that they had no other leads. They didn't have anywhere else to turn at this point, and so they were very open to listening and hearing Anthony out. Now it was after their initial conversation with Anthony that police asked him if he would be willing to help in a sting operation to which Anthony agreed. Now, before we get into the sting operation, you're probably sitting here wondering, who is this friend? Who is the man who came up with this bizarre movie plot and was so worried about Anthony talking to police? Well, this friend would be none other than Liam McAtasney. This was the same friend who was with Sarah all day on December 2nd, the one who had spoken to police countless times, the one who was at Sarah's search parties talking to journalists and reporters, the same one. And you are truly not going to believe what else he had to say about this. Now, the first step in this operation was a phone call between Liam and Anthony. On this phone call, Anthony had told Liam that his camera had broken and he needed to get some money to fix it. Anthony told Liam that he was really tight for cash, couldn't afford to get a new camera, and had asked Liam if he could use some of, quote, that girl's money to purchase a new camera to see if Liam would help him out. Now, again, the whole strategy behind this was to see if Liam would admit to having any of the money. Now, it was very clear to both Anthony and police at the time that Liam was very hesitant to give an answer here. He was being very vague. He was saying lots of maybes, I don't knows, I'll get back to yous. And you could tell that he was very, very hesitant. And it was based off of this hesitancy that police knew that they needed to raise the stakes a little bit. They needed 
an in-person interaction between Anthony and Liam. They had asked Anthony to call Liam and set up a meeting between the two of them. And surprisingly, Liam actually agreed to this meeting. They ended up deciding that they were going to get together on the night of January 3rd, 2017, which is pretty much exactly a month after Sarah had disappeared. The two of them met up at Bradley Beach, where Liam got into Anthony's car, and the two of them started having a conversation. Now, immediately when Liam got into the car, he told Anthony that he needed to do a little pat down, search the car a little bit to make sure that there was no cameras or wires or anything, and Anthony allowed him to do so. However, Liam didn't find the cameras that were actually in there. He just presumed that because he couldn't find them, that they weren't there. However, they most definitely were. Now, instead of giving you a synopsis of the entire conversation, I am going to play some clips for you of the conversation between Liam and Anthony. And I encourage you to pay attention to how nonchalant Liam sounds about everything that he is talking about. It is one of the most nonchalant confessions you have probably heard in quite some time. Now, the first clip that I want to play you is a clip of Liam talking to Anthony, telling him about the motive behind killing Sarah and how he was strictly after her money. And not even, that's not even the worst part. The worst part of it is I thought I was walking out 50 grand, 100 grand in my pocket. She had one safe, and she took money out and she only had 10 grand and this money i don't know if it was burnt or something it's fucking old money terrible quality mm. i don't even know if i can put any of it in the fucking bank right because it'll probably it'll probably look sketchy right it looks sketchy and it'll look like it's sarah's money especially if it's a federal investigation right if they're looking for the guy who has the fucking old money right because it's probably like the the old dollar bills and shit it's not like the new shits because the hundred dollar bills are changed now exactly so as you can tell liam talks about the money which seems to be his whole motive behind the entire murder now what i'm going to play for you now is liam's actual confession of sarah's murder and again i encourage you to listen to how calm he sounds how nonchalant this whole thing is to him and it is a little bit of a longer clip it is about five minutes however again i really encourage you to listen to the whole thing because you will be shocked but i had planned sarah's situation for me to be interrogated by cops like that was the whole part of my plan to make me look not guilty what like did you, what did you end up throwing up like, you didn't hear about it it was all over the news right but i didn't know if you like went through it. yeah and the worst part is we threw off the bridge and the body never showed up. It's probably frozen. It's probably all the way out in the ocean. And it's fucking frozen, so she's not coming up anytime soon. She, her body's probably at the bottom of the fucking ocean. And she got eaten by a shark or some fucking shit. Yeah. Bro, this is like a fucking movie, bro. Yeah. And, dude. All right. So, I'm hanging out with her. She has... We, we went to the bank. She took some money out. Not all of her money. We're counting out. And then she goes to walk out the front door. I choke her out. 
drag her. My biggest problem was the dog, and her dog laid there and watched as I killed her. Didn't do anything. Her fucking dog. What, what kind, kind of dog? Yeah, what kind of dog is that? It's like some. Was it a big? It dog looks or? like a beagle, but it's like the size of a Great Dane. Jeez. Nobody was there. Grandma. Was no, there. nobody was there. Even her dad wasn't there. He was in Florida. Yeah, you said that. He was yeah. There. So, I have to leave. I fucking dropped my phone at Sarah's house. My phone was at Sarah's house. Like. Wait, like, you left your phone? After? Yeah, I lost it. I couldn't find it. I had to go to work. I had timed everything out so what that. What did you, why did you take your phone? You should have left it in your fucking pocket. Dude. What were you doing? Strangling someone. I couldn't find it, dude. It ended up being out in the driveway. Oh, it must have dropped out of your pocket. It must have dropped when I was crawling to the, get in the car. But I choke her out, drag her into the back, put her in a bathroom, and then I had to go straight to work. So mm. Preston came over, took the body, put it in the bushes, and then I was at work. I had a full, like, night of work, except I left work a couple times, which looks sketchy. Right. I look for my phone, though, right. which is a reasonable, like, thing to do. Yeah, you gotta look for your phone. Yeah, you can't which is kind of, like, me losing my phone was kind of a good thing. Because the cops are like, oh, he's hanging out with her. He lost her phone, his phone. He's going back and forth between his house looking for it. And then I get off work that night, go straight over. Uh, Preston and I go over to her house, take her safe, bring that over to my house before we do anything. Then we take her body out of the bushes and drag it over to her back fence. And I crawl get into her car and I back up she had there's a security camera across the street right. so I had to back I had to act like her I watched her every time she backed out she does the same thing so I backed out exactly like she did and drove did off put her in the trunk nah I put her in the passenger seat of her own car and then Preston and I had these walkie talkies to communicate with we just used them again. So I was driving, and I had her buckled in in the passenger Wait, seat. Wait, so she looks like she's just sleeping. She's just something. sitting up. Right. And my my plan was for me, I underestimated my own strength and how much a dead body would weigh. Because... It's lint, it's lint weight. Yeah. I got up on top of the bridge to throw her off. My, my plan was I was going to throw her off run over, jump over the divider and get into Preston's car. Mm. And I go up, open the door, unhook her, pull her out, start dragging her to throw her over, and then cars start coming up. I see, like, headlights coming. I try to get her over, and I can't fuck my leg up. Like, the weight from her body, like, made me fall, and my leg, like, went up. So now I'm limping, my leg's fucked up, and there's three cars coming up. So I grab her body dude I had superhuman strength and I threw it in the car and I fucking picked it up and her feet were up here and her foot with her head her head was down there and three cars go by and I'm fucking losing my shit because that easily could have been a cop yeah. and then I mean the police station is like right there yeah it? yeah and then Preston comes over the bridge goes around makes a u-turn comes up behind me 
two of us throw the body over and then we we're out so yeah that is the confession but now this last audio clip that i'm about to play you is liam going into detail of how exactly he killed sarah and what happened following that or you had her so tight that it was like i pretty much hung her like i just i picked her up and had her just like dangling off the ground and she just pissed herself and oh, yeah, you lose control of said my name and then that was it and it took me a half an hour to kill her I thought I was going to be able to choke her out and have her out in like a couple minutes. I choked her out and then she was just laying there having a seizure or something. So then I just, I had to, I got a shirt and I just shoved it down her throat so she wouldn't throw up or anything and held my finger over her nose and set a timer. That's the only time I had my phone. And it took me like a half an hour after I hit start. Now, as you can see, Liam goes into great detail and even talks about how he set a timer to kill Sarah. He physically pulled out his phone and set a timer to see how long it would take him to murder his friend. Now, another thing that I want to talk about here that we haven't discussed yet is that Liam is very open about the fact that he was not alone in this murder. He did not carry this out himself, even though he was the one who physically conducted the murder. He had an accomplice, and that was Preston, another one of Sarah's friends, Sarah's prom date in high school. Like I mentioned, Liam and Preston were both roommates. Liam was a college sophomore studying psychology who had known Sarah since first grade, and Preston was also a college student at the time who was friends with Sarah since high school. And again, as I mentioned, they went to prom together. These were people who have known Sarah their entire lives, and they decided to commit the ultimate act of betrayal against her. And as you can imagine, once police got a hold of this confession, both Liam and Preston were immediately arrested. But even though they were arrested, they both pled not guilty to Sarah's murder. And everyone in the community was shocked to hear that these two were responsible for this. As I said, both boys were 19 years old and everyone had seen them grow up, watch them get older, go through middle school, high school. And these were not bad kids, quote unquote. They were not known as bad boys. They never got in trouble. Neither of them had a record. Everyone was stunned that they would be capable of committing something like this, especially to someone that they were so close to. Now, in a murder trial, it is especially difficult, and we've talked about this before, it's incredibly difficult to get a guilty verdict in a murder trial when there is no body to be found. It is trying to convince a jury that a murder has occurred when there is no evidence of that murder, period. Now, luckily, they did have the confession. They had the confession, they had the fact that Sarah's body was never recovered and her car was found on top of that bridge. And that was enough for the prosecution to form an argument that stated that Liam and Preston were responsible for Sarah's death. Now, again, like I mentioned, both Liam and Preston pled not guilty. However, right before the trial took place, something changed. Preston actually changed his plea and he ended up making a deal. 
Preston's plea included that he had to testify against Liam in exchange for a drop in the felony murder charge. However, he was still charged with six other counts and arrested to 18 years in prison. Throughout the trial, Sarah's family members took the stand and spoke about how Sarah had an amazing life, an amazing family, amazing friends. She had a bright future ahead of her and was certainly not suicidal because that, again, was something that the defense was trying to argue. Now, as you can imagine, the one thing that everyone was waiting for throughout this trial was Preston's testimony. They really thought that Preston's testimony was going to be the nail in the coffin in this trial. And finally, his day came. During his testimony, Preston said that Liam had been planning the murder of Sarah for months, ever since Sarah had disclosed to him about the money that she had discovered. Now, according to Preston, he claimed that Liam was initially told by Sarah that the amount of money that she had was closer to $100,000, not the twenty-five dollars that was discovered. Now, Preston also made it clear that on the day of December 2nd, Liam went with Sarah to the bank, which was also stated in that confession, because when Liam first spoke to police, he told them that after they went to Taco Bell together, that him and Sarah went separate ways. However, that story changed in his confession because he claimed that he went to the bank with Sarah. Sarah went to the bank and withdrew approximately $10,000 from that safety deposit box and that was a lot less money than Liam was initially hoping to get from Sarah. Again, he thought he was going to get a hundred thousand dollars. However, he ended up with more so around 10 because Sarah did not withdraw all of the money from that safety deposit box. Now, according to Preston, he claimed that when him and Liam started discussing how to obtain this money from Sarah, the the initial plan was more so a burglary. They were going to convince Sarah to take the money out and then they were going to rob her. However, over time, Liam had snowballed this plan and actually changed it to murdering Sarah for the money instead. Preston said that Liam had initially planned on killing her one night in November. However, that is when he learned that the money was in a safety deposit box and not just at her house as he had initially assumed, so they had to delay the plan. Now, Liam did try and convince Sarah to take the money out of the bank. That way, she could use it towards her move to Canada. That is why the two of them went to the bank together. But again, as I just mentioned, Sarah did not take out all of the money. She only took out a portion of it. Now, once they got back to Sarah's house is when Liam followed through with the murder, keeping Preston updated through text messages. He explained how after Liam murdered Sarah that he put her in the bathroom before heading to work. So after Liam murdered Sarah, he placed her body in her bathroom, went to work, had a normal work shift, then went back to the house to dispose of her body. After Liam arrived back to Sarah's house is when Preston met him there and the two of them got Sarah in the car. Liam placed Sarah's body in the passenger seat of the car and drove it to the bridge while Preston followed behind him. After they threw Sarah's body into the water is when they got back into Preston's car, drove to their home, and lit up a cigarette together. So that was the synopsis of 
Preston's testimony. Now, throughout everyone's testimony, Sarah's family, Preston's, everyone, Liam was looking down the entire time. He could not bring himself to look up at anyone who was testifying against him and making him relive that night. Now, after the trial, Liam was found guilty of all charges, which included murder and robbery, and was sentenced to life in prison without parole, plus 10 years. Liam was 21 years old at the time that he received his sentence, and to this day, Sarah's body has never been recovered. This is one of those extremely upsetting cases because even though it is solved, her family will never be able to lay her body to rest and have that piece of closure. But that, you guys, is the case of Sarah Stern, and I'm very interested to hear what you guys have to say about it. Let me know in the comments below. And with that being said, you guys, that is all for me today. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of Killer Instinct. Again, if you're new here, hi, my name is Savannah, and I am your host of Killer Instinct. Make sure you go ahead and hit that subscribe button. That way you never miss an episode. We post weekly every Wednesday and you're not going to want to miss it. I'll be back next week with a brand new one. And until then, stay safe. Bye guys. America, we are endowed by our creator with certain unalienable rights, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. At Grand Canyon University, we believe in equal opportunity, and the American dream starts with purpose. By honoring your career calling, you impact your family, your friends, and your community. The pursuit to serve others is yours. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Private, Christian, affordable. Visit gcu.edu.